When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome into a Super Bowl edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass. I'm Evan Lazar, joined, as always, by Alex Barth, and we're waiting for the man of the hour. He'll be here just in a few moments, but we're going to open up the show talking about a few Patriots uh, things that are still lingering here, uh, maybe some Joe Judge, but I wanted to start with what we saw from Mac Jones. I, I don't know if a lot of people saw it. We didn't talk a lot of Pro Bowl on Tuesday. I, I don't care about the Pro Bowl, right? I can take it or leave it with the Pro Bowl. I don't even care about the Pro Bowl. <laughs> we have talked a little bit about Alex, Mac Jones's mic'd up segments, uh, the clear, just fun he had playing that game. And I would venture to say that I don't know if Mac Jones had that much fun the entire season. I'm not trying to go, oh, the Patriots aren't fun and all that kind of stuff. That's not where I'm going with it. I'm more talking about just the pressures of a rookie season and being the quarterback and all that kind of stuff. We saw a much different, a much looser, much uh, just fun and cool. I would say cool. I know this is crazy that we're talking about it like this, but I do find it interesting. Yeah, I you know, for me, it's I, I thought maybe at times this year, Mac was tight, just a little tight. Yeah. And I think that's tight. You know, he's a rookie quarterback. He had a lot on his plate. I get it. I think playing a little looser could help him. I me do. Too. And I don't know that he needs to be as loose as he was in the Pro Bowl. But just knowing he has that in him and you saw the way guys gravitated towards it. Right. Even guys like Patrick Mahomes, uh, Chandler Jones tweeted after the game that he became a big fan of Mac. So maybe a little recruiting there, too. Yeah, uh, for Mac, kind of showing that, hey, it can be fun in New England. Come play with me and we can have fun like this. Yeah, I would like to see that side a little bit more of Mac in year two because it would just be a good sign that he's more confident. He, you know, he understands what he's doing, um, all of that. Well, it's a good segue. We got we got the man of the hour. We got Mr. Mike Petraglia himself coming from Los Angeles, the pride of the Cincinnati Bengals, the leader of the pack yeah. for Cincinnati in LA. It's Drags. We're so happy to have Drags on today and do this. The three of us back together again for the first time in a very, very long time. It's exciting for the three of us. I hope it's exciting for everybody else watching. But Drags, how's it going, man? How's LA? Well, first of all, let me say that I am so happy to see Alex Barth on this uh podcast and you know i'm gonna rip him i'm gonna rip him anyway well this was your podcast we had to take it over i I know that yeah Yeah. i know you did i know you did and you've done a fantastic job and if john zanis is watching this uh kudos to you both uh i could not have uh hand selected two people Mm -hmm. to carry on the tradition of patriots beat on clns media any better than you two fine gentlemen 
it is beautiful out here in Los Angeles to your initial yeah, question, Evan. It is uh, 75 right now at what is what are we? I was late on this podcast, by the way, and uh, my deepest regrets and apologies. Nine twelve. Diva over here. Yep, that's what I am. Um, it is uh, 75 degrees at 9:12 in the morning. Not bad. We're expecting, by the way, possibly record warmth for the Super Bowl on Sunday. Now. Some perspective on this, because the first Super Bowl I ever covered, Super Bowl 30, was in Tempe before Glendale, and that was at Arizona State University's uh, football stadium. <clears throat> I sat in the auxiliary press box, last row, no shade, okay, no shade, and it must have been 110 degrees, no kidding, without any any awning or any protection over us. That's the hottest I will have ever been, and I, that will never be topped at a football game. So Sunday, if it's 85 degrees outside, it'll be about 75 indoors uh, in a beautiful state-of-the-art facility. And I really genuinely, guys, am looking forward to Sunday to see how the two sides kind of match up against one another. These are obviously two coaches that know each other. And maybe uh, it can be said that Zach Taylor knows what um, Sean McVay is as a head coach. Sean McVay doesn't, hasn't played against or coached against Zach Taylor, the head coach. He knows what he was as a quarterback's coach. That's a different animal than running the entire program. And Zach Taylor, uh, obviously, I think, uh, has done an incredible job getting helping to get the Bengals to this point so far. So sure, let's go from there. Yeah. I, because last year, I know, you know, I, I personally wasn't high on Zach Taylor. I know you weren't high on Zach Taylor. I know there's new personnel. But what's the biggest difference between Zach Taylor last year and Zach Taylor this year? Healthy Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. Um, he can do the things. You guys are very, very familiar with the offense that Zach Taylor wants to run, and he has run it to perfection with Brian Callahan, with Dan Fisher, who I had a good conversation with uh, earlier in the week uh, via Zoom. Uh, he has the kind of people here in place in a third year that's made the difference. Um, and obviously Joe Burrow being healthy and not tearing his ACL like he did in 2020, that's a big part of it. Uh, but guys, I will tell you, the biggest change in this team, 21, uh, 2021 from 2020 is the defense. They went out, they spent them much like the Patriots did, spent the money on the defense. Difference being, I think the Bengals had enough personnel that they weren't relying entirely on one or two players. I think with the Patriots, maybe, you know, the theory is Matt Judon wore out towards the end of the year, was not as effective as he was in the first half of the year for the Patriots. And uh, with the Bengals, you have younger players. Vaughn Bell's only 25. People forget that, but he's only 25. Jesse Bates is only 24. And then you have uh, Chidobe Awuzie and Eli Apple has been reborn here in Cincinnati. Um, under Lou Anarumo, the defensive coordinator. Uh, Trey Hendrickson uh, followed up his great year in New Orleans with a career year uh, this year, 13 and a half sacks. He's been a force on the edge. Uh, and then you have guys like, uh, uh, excuse me, DJ Reader and Larry Ogunjobi. Ogunjobi, of course, is injured, won't play. But you have guys like that, and you have uh, Sam Hubbard on the other end. So, uh, Bengals have a lot of depth on that defense. And to me, that's been the biggest uh, difference this year. Trags, what number Super Bowl is this for you actually covering in person? 
I want to say 12. 12. So you've been to quite a few of these things, that humble brag. What's the vibe like out there? Because I'm curious right. with, yeah, with, with COVID and, and everything that's going on still in the world, it sounded like based off of what I was hearing that Radio Row was going to be quite subdued. I know ESPN and NFL Network, I think, are hanging at their facilities, obviously, with it being in L.A. and not having a physical presence at Radio Row necessarily. So is this totally different than, let's say, you know, Alex and I were both lucky to be there in 2019 when the Patriots played the Rams, right. for example. Much different, guys. Much, much different. It is uh, subdued. It is quiet. Some of that's the L.A. vibe, maybe, the L.A. scene where, you know, the Evan, you know it very well. Uh, the culture out here is to really chill, chill, chill till the big event. And that's what I think is we're, we're building up to. Guys, there's not a lot of hype around this game. Uh, the L.A. Rams, I, I'm telling you right now, there isn't a lot. I've had, uh, you know, rideshare rides uh, from being out at night. And when I get in these cars, the drivers are saying, you know, there's not any real L.A. Rams fans out here. They're all transplants. There's no fever. You know, there's no excitement around the L.A. Rams. And I find that a little bit surprising. And he's like, if you're in from Cincinnati, the Bengal fans are going to be heard loud and clear on Sunday. And, yeah. you know, that's part of the vibe out here. I think part of the vibe is let's see what kind of game we're going to get on Sunday. Uh, but I don't expect any you know, real electricity to build until maybe, you know, the day before the game on Saturday. Well, the general buzz, too. I mean, do you think Brady's retirement announcement maybe took away some of the focus from the game itself? No, I don't. I, I think this would have been that way, uh, one way or another, Alex. I think that it's the culture. That's the way it is yeah. out here in Southern California. And the people are just waiting for the game to get here. You know, and we are filling time. We're filling stories, talking to players, coaches, you know, eighth grade peewee Pop Warner coaches uh, to kind of fill <laughs> our storylines. Right. And uh, that's really what it's been a lot about. Um, it's it, I'll tell you, the, the media room here is much there's a lot more space than there has been in years past. It's not nearly as crowded. I want to take a second to shout out our official sponsor at betonline.ag. The big game is finally here as we hit Super Sunday with the last game of the football season and bet online has you covered from odds scores totals player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land bet online is the number one spot for all things nfl betting in 2022 and it's not just football bet online's basketball hockey boxing and ufc odds coverage is the best in the business from sports right down to your favorite vegas casino games bet online is your number one online wagering destination head to bet online today or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit just use our promo code clns50 to get you started the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games, bet online where the game starts. Yeah, and the best way I can describe LA is LA has some of the worst traffic in the entire country, right? It is a driving city. There's not a lot of public transportation. It has some of the worst traffic in the entire country. 
and nobody gets pissed off on the road, right? There's no honking. There's no flipping people off. There's no mass holes. There's nothing because everybody is just super chill, man, right? It's just, it's all, that was the funniest thing to me is that the traffic was arguably twice as bad at times than what it is here in Boston. But here in Boston, you get in somebody's way, you know what happens, right? Out in LA, yeah. it's just like, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go. you want to cut me off? Like, no problem. You know yeah, why that is. Day. You know why that is, Evan. The weather. That is the, it's the weather. Yes, it yeah. is the weather. It is absolutely yeah. the weather. People are more chill. And that's yeah. why when I say, you know, what's the, the vibe out here? What's the feeling? The feeling is, okay, there's a Super Bowl. There's a big game on Sunday. Right. When it gets here, I'll pay attention. But until then, I'm not going to get hyped up about it. And yeah, that's, the other it, thing. Go ahead. Yeah. Now, the other thing I would just say about the L.A. culture is that, b- believe it or not, as big as the Super Bowl is for all of us and as big as the Super Bowl is for everybody in this country, L.A.'s got other things going on. Right. Like L.A. doesn't the Super Bowl is just like another event to these people. Right. They have because every year when you get rolling through in L.A., you have the Oscars, you have the Grammys, you have the you know, there's so many other things. And entertainment is such a big part of it, not just sports, but Hollywood entertainment that something like the Super Bowl in L.A. is just another big event of a string of big events that they have in every year out there. So I football. I was surprised when they decided to move not just one, but two teams to Los Angeles because I was really, I'm confused as to where it fits into the culture there, right? They don't need other teams. I think the Lakers and the Dodgers have real diehard fans. That's absolutely correct. Yeah, but in terms of like, do they need a football team in Los Angeles? Do they they need two? Right, they, they went from it. not being able to support one to overnight, suddenly they could support two. And right. tracks, it's funny. You said what you said, you know, the, the, the Uber drivers or whatever telling you that, yeah, there's no real Rams fans. The Rams are the more popular of the two teams in that city, right? Yes. I, I, yeah. There's no question it's, about that, Alex. I, it I don't should know be a home game the, for the Bengals. I don't know where the Charger fans are. I mean, you would expect to have seen some Charger memorabilia around here. There's almost none. You know, and that obviously the Rams. Yeah, and right. And there are, you know, go Rams signage on public transportation on some of the buildings around, but not a lot of it. I mean, and I'm and I'm a walker. You guys both know I do use public transit even here, and it's been very convenient for me. But but you don't. Yeah, I'm safe. um, You don't see signage all over the place for the Rams. You just don't. I mean, it's here and there, certainly. But that's about it. That's it, it surprised me a little bit. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me, but it surprises me, right? Like you would think that the city would try yeah. to take over the team a little bit, especially with how good they are, but you could not possibly set it up any better than having a team in the Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford and then Justin Herbert as the other quarterback on the team. Those are two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, right? And two of the more exciting teams in the NFL from a passing right. game standpoint and all these types of things and it still doesn't matter tracks before uh we brought well, hang on. on real real quick tracks yeah. let me ask you this they're a big detroit presence there no and i know no. where you're going with that no i'm just no. it, it's mean, as, it's as close as they might get i know a bunch of detroit fans went out to the no. nfc championship game so janie's my daughter my older daughter as you know goes to miami of ohio her boyfriend is a huge lions fan and is killing me 
about Matthew Stafford's going to carve up the Bengals. And to which I said, did you see the jump ball that he threw in the third quarter, Chirag? That's what I think the Bengals are counting on on Sunday, is that Matthew Stafford is going to throw a jump ball or two or three, and the Bengals need to take advantage of it, unlike the 49ers were were not able to in the NFC title game. Travis, before we... uh brought you on we were talking about mac jones at the pro bowl i don't know if you yes. saw any of the uh, videos and stuff like that but he had a, he had a pretty good time right he had a pretty good time and it was a lot looser a, a lot uh he was kind of the star of the show honestly i watched the mic'd up segment that they did about 20 minutes and i'd say 10 minutes of it is mac jones not patrick mahomes not justin herbert you know it was it was mac stealing a, a lot of the attention I wanted to bring that towards Joe Burrow because I think the thing that we hear so much about Joe Burrow is he's got this swagger, right? He's got this confidence. He's got this swagger. And I'm not sure that we necessarily saw that fully from Mac Jones as a rookie, I, that, that bravado, right? That, that really the gusto and the confidence. When you hear that Joe Burrow has swagger, what, what do you, what does that mean to you? Right. And what, how do you kind of see that uh, emulate itself on the field? He's, you know he's going to make the right play or the big play at the right moment. Uh, that's where, when people ask me, and they've asked me many, many times, knowing that I covered Brady for a long time, what's the similarity I see? It's Joe Burrow's ability when the chips are down, when a big play needs to be made, one throw. You need to have him make one critical throw under pressure. He makes it. That's what Brady did. That's what Joe Burrow does. And Joe Burrow has the swagger to know, yeah, I know what this coverage is going to be. I know where Jamar is going to be. I know how to. he's going to release off the off the uh, inside leverage on the corner and get to the sideline, and I'm going to throw it there. He's going to be there. That's the similarity. That's where the swagger comes from. And the, the play that comes to mind, it's a subtle one, but it's the one before the game-winning field goal in Tennessee in the divisional round where uh, Logan Wilson gets the uh, interception off Eli Apple tip pass off Ryan Tannehill. And Joe Burrow needed to make a play to get Evan McPherson in realistic field goal range. And he throws an out. And he left, let the ball go before uh, Chase had turned, his back, had turned around for it. And it was just the perfect, to me, characterization of what Joe Burrow has under pressure. He doesn't get bothered by big moments. And... That's the same with Brady, right? Brady doesn't get bothered by big moments. The only way you ever got to Brady was you got in his face. And in that game, that Tennessee game, they got in his face nine times, 11 if you really want to be technical about it. And he didn't flinch. He does not flinch, no matter the circumstance. Even down 21 to three less or two weeks ago against the Chiefs on the road, he doesn't flinch. So let me ask you this. Do you think he can still do that if he gets sacked nine times in a game again? Because that yeah. to me is what this game is yeah. all about. It's I don't it's think he's the, gonna get sacked nine times. I don't think they're gonna allow him to get hit that many times. He may get sacked five times, and I wouldn't be shocked by that at all. I think most Bengal fans coming into this game are expecting at least that because yeah. the Bengals interior offensive line can't block the pass for crap. They just can't. Well, so do then it. On the other side, you have one of the best defensive lines in football, Aaron Donald, right? So that that matchup to me is the game. To me, yes. it's how, how can the Bengals do enough to hold off that pass rush and keep Burrow upright for long enough? How do you see that playing out? So, Evan, what did the uh, what did the Patriots do three years ago against 
that front. Yeah, we talked about this. You know, it. I do think you need to be balanced, right? I, I do think it's important to run the football a little bit on them, especially if they're going to play two high shells just to take out, you know, uh, Chase and Higgins. I think you got to be able to be a little bit balanced so they're not just pinning their ears back. And honestly, in the beginning part of that portion of that game, I think the biggest thing with pass rush, especially regardless if it's Aaron Donald or a guy on the outside like Von Miller, is rhythm, right? You, you get into a rhythm with your pass rushing ability, and then all of a sudden it, it just gets to be almost like you're not even thinking, right? Because you you get into a, a zone uh, as an Aaron Donald where you're beating guys. So what the Patriots did early on in that game was they kind of threw the kitchen sink of blocking schemes at Aaron Donald. Dante Skarnikia was just threw everything at him, right? He was trapping him. He was doubling him. He was chipping him with, uh, you know, the guard would come over, clean him out, and then move over to something else or something like that, the, ta- the tackle. And they just threw blocking angles at him right guys from different angles all that kind of stuff and it threw him off his game and and it got him kind of out of sync with what he was trying to do or what his plan was going into it and then later on in the game they were able to go one-on-one with joe tooney right they were able to not pay so much attention to aaron donald so i think that early on in the game whenever you play a guy like donald the important thing to do is to do a bunch of different things to kind of throw him and get him a little bit off of his rhythm. Cause if he gets into a groove, but the pass rush and he's going to take over the game. Watch. But the Bengals don't thing. have Joe Tooney. They don't have that guy. You don't Sorry, need Jackson, him. Right? It, you don't need him. How many times did we hear Tom Brady is his best off his own best offensive yeah. lineman? How many times Joe right. Burrow is like that as well. Only more mobile and more, uh, Uh, He has more dexterity. Joe Mixon, his favorite run is the backside zone block run. What's going to happen, what I think they're going to try to do on Sunday is you're going to see a wave going off to the right or a wave of blocking going off to the left. Get Aaron Donald lost in that wave, flood him, if you will. And then Mixon's job, is going to be wait for a second to two seconds longer than he normally does for that wave to wash out and then cut on the backside. That's his touchdown run in the Tennessee game in the divisional round. Go back and watch that run. That's what they're going to try to do with Aaron Donald. The the zone wind back. That that that's that's a good player against this team. Any team that's an aggressive front, if you can run a zone wind back, which is basically like you're tossing it out one direction. Everybody's flowing in that direction. You get the defense pinned down and right. then you cut it back across the grain. Uh, those are the types of plays that could be effective. The Patriots did it with trap schemes, right? So they let Sue and Donald through and then they would trap them with a lineman coming from a different direction, right? So it seemed like he was unblocked at first and then they would wham him or they would trap him. Now, they were whamming him with Rob Gronkowski. So it's a little bit different than, you know, maybe what the Bengals personnel is, but those are the types of things the Pats did. So yeah, misdirection, throwing different blocking angles at him, throwing different people at him. You just can't let him get you one-on-one, right? You just can't let him get one guy singled up and just go after it. It's, it is the matchup of the game in a lot of ways, but the Bengals have, weirdly just been immune to pressure in a lot in some ways right like the titans defensive line sacked joe burrow nine times they couldn't have possibly taken the game over more 
than what they did. Now it took three interceptions by Ryan Tannehill to make that game in the Bengals' favor. I don't know Matthew Stafford's going to give you three picks, but I, I thought that was fascinating about that game is that even though the Titans' D-line did exactly what everybody expected them to do against the Bengals' offensive line, it almost didn't matter at the end of the day that they were getting so much pressure on Burrow. Right. I wanted to ask you about uh, the coaching staff on both sides because this is a matchup to me uh, that tells you about the McVay-Shanahan coaching tree and the fact that at this point, when you talk about coordinators, you talk about head coaches, and you talk about different branches of this tree, about a third of the league at this point, once upon a time, worked for either Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay. And obviously we have that in this game right now. But Zach Taylor, to me, has done a little bit different with the Bengals offense, I think because of Burrow and his skill set, than maybe the typical, uh, you know, McVeigh playbook that he was running when he was with the Rams. But this coaching tree has taken over the league in a lot of ways, Trags. And, and we know here in, in Patriot land about copycats, right? You know, how many different Patriots right. assistant personnel execs are going around the league and, and getting jobs at, on the riding the coattails of Bill Belichick. Well, here we are in the Super Bowl, and there's two McVeigh guys, McVeigh himself, and, and then Zach Taylor. I think it's really fascinating, though, how both guys have adjusted because McVeigh, he really saw what the Patriots did in the Super Bowl a few years ago against him, and they started doing some different things. They knew that they couldn't just rely solely on that foundation that they had built. And Zach Taylor, I think, is building an offense in Cincinnati that maybe more resembles like Buffalo and Kansas city than it does necessarily what the Rams and what the Niners do with their run game stuff. They are still zone based, but they're a lot more spread out formations uh, than what McVay typically does with all the condensed stuff. Here's the deal with uh, Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor has done a tremendous job in the last 18 months of picking and choosing what works for him the best he will be i think he is the ultimate hybrid offensive game schemer uh in the national football league right now and he's made that work to his advantage because of what you said he has the quarterback who can do that he has the quarterback who understands all of these different concepts look a lot has been made and you know i talked about it earlier about joe burrow's pressure uh you know his performance under pressure he won't flinch He is an incredibly bright, very quick-thinking quarterback at the line of scrimmage, and he can go to different calls and different schemes on a moment's notice. As you know, both of you know, that it's hard to do that. It's hard to go from a RPO kind of concept to a wide zone to a more traditional um, quarterback, uh, you know, what the Patriots have run for years and years and years with Tom Brady. It's difficult to like throw all of that into the mix and pick and choose at a moment's notice. Joe Burrow can do that. And that and I think Zach Taylor has taken advantage of that by picking and choosing different types of offensive attacks. One thing about uh, Zach Taylor that he said uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I thought was very true, he said, uh, if you have a cup of coffee with Sean McVay, you're going to get a head coaching job in the National Football League. Meaning, obviously, Sean McVay is so well-known now and has such a reputation throughout uh, football of coaching uh, coach or having coaches on his staff who are well-versed in different offensive schemes. 
the other thing that somebody brought up to me yesterday, and I, I get your opinion on this, Evan, what you think of this. It's much easier to hire an offensive co head coach than it is a defensive coach. Brian Dayball, for example, uh, versus the Giants going with a defensive guy. Let's let's say Lou Anarumo, because Lou Anarumo interviewed for the Giants head coaching job. And he's the DC with the Bengals now. It's easier for the for the Giants to go out and get Dayball and Dayball to build an offense and and hire defensively than it is the other way around. You agree with that? I do agree with it. I do think there's still a place for defensive coaches. And obviously the two right here in the AFC East with Belichick and Sean McDermott have done really, really well as defense coaches, uh, defense first coaches. But the problem that you have is actually to keep it here with the Bills and the Patriots is what's going on right now with the Bills and the Patriots. And that is they just lost their offensive coordinators to head coaching jobs. So right. the issue that you have is that if you're a defensive minded head coach, and Josh McDaniels takes the Raiders job and Brian Dable takes the Giants job. Well, now every three or four years, your quarterback is starting over with a new offensive coordinator and a new play caller. Whereas if you just hire that guy, if you hire a Zach Taylor, if you hire a Sean McVay, if you hire a Brian Dable, Josh McDaniels, that system stays in place as long as that guy is the head coach. And he's not going to jump ship to for another head coaching job, most likely, especially if he's successful. So the, the, the worry that you have, especially when you're breaking in a young stud. Daniel Jones. Right. Is that you're going to keep going and recycling through coordinators because guys are going to keep taking head coaching jobs elsewhere or getting promotions in other places. Obviously the Patriots have made it work with Bill Belichick, but I think the biggest thing that Belichick uh, allows it to work is that the X's and O's stay the same, regardless of who's the coordinator of the Patriots, whether it's Charlie Weiss, Josh McDaniels, Bill O'Brien, or now whatever the heck they they end up doing with the coordinator spot, Joe Judge or Bill O'Brien comes back. The playbook in the X's and O's foundation is not going to change just because a different guy is calling the plays this year versus last year. So that sort of continuity allows them to weather the storm. But the Patriots got lucky that McDaniels stuck – here for the last decade right that that nobody that came because along of tom brady happened. though let's let's be honest here that's right. because well, right. his relationship also, with tom brady let's not Go also ahead. forget he was a disaster in denver i mean i think you know teams keep hiring these offensive-minded head coaches and yes there's two of them in the super bowl this year but i knew alex was going to disagree with this I here think we go. I, here's the thing so first of all all right so you have to keep finding an offense coordinator that's just reality in the nfl and like most teams have to deal with that at most spots. So then have a good quarterback coach, get a pipeline going internally, and you can kind of keep the offensive system. The other thing about it is yes, McVay's gotten this far and now Zach Taylor's here, but how many of the coaches from the, this tree consistently get close and then bail out, whether it's Matt LaFleur, whether it's Kyle Shanahan, who is to me the poster child for great offensive mind, maybe not quite a head coach. I think McVay's a head coach. Taylor, mm -hmm. Let's see. I mean, he got to the Super Bowl. That's clearly impressive, but I don't think it's – I think the idea that you have to have an offensive head coach simply because you can't keep a good offensive coordinator, I, I don't think that, that one equals the other. I don't think you should stop yourself from hiring the best possible candidate as a head coach just because you're worried about your coordinator situation. Get a good offense coordinator. Get a good quarterback coach. When the OC – like, look at what's going on with the Bills, right? Dayball leaves, so what do they do? They promote. Well, um, let's see sources, what happens, right? With the Bills, though, we don't let's know. What, 
We don't know if Dorsey's any good. I wouldn't, we don't know but, if that's but here's my point. Back. I would I would rather create a strong pipeline behind the coach I believe in, offensive or defensive, than just dismiss half the candidates because, oh, well, I might not have a good offensive coordinator one day, and that would suck. Like, I just think that's a really irresponsible way to hire a coach. No, I don't disagree with you, but I think the issue is, is that the brightest offensive minds in football are getting the head coaching jobs. So no if, you don't, about that. if you don't grab one of those guys as a head coach, the likelihood that you're going to get a good coordinator in place or, you know, a sequence of good coordinators after that is significantly lower because every single good offensive coach in the league is going to be a head coach within the next five years. Right. I mean, every, and yeah, there's always up and comers. There's always new guys that come down the pipeline, but I think eventually you're going to see a league that's fully dominated by these offensive coaches. And it's going to be really hard to go and find these OCs. And I think that you look at, for example, the chargers with Justin Herbert, Brandon Staley, for all of his shortcomings as an in-game coach and, and, and his decision makings dur- during the game, is very well-renowned for his acumen as a defensive coach. But that's not going to help Justin Herbert in the offense, and that should be your most important asset. So I just Yeah, Justin Herbert's been fine, and the offense has been fine. It's been fine. I don't know if it's been as good as it possibly they're, could they're be. Not in the, they're not, and I guess I'm kind of hurting my own case here, but this is a separate argument. They're not in the playoffs – the reason they're not in the, the reason they didn't make the playoffs isn't because the coach wasn't offensively gifted enough. The reason that they're not in the playoffs is because the coach dry humps a calculator. So there we go. Okay, well, let, me put it know, to you, let me put it to you this way, Alex, right? I'll take, I'll take what, a what non-mathy offensive coach over a mathy defensive coach any day. What do you think is better for the development and the trajectory of Justin? Because let's face it, the quarterback's the most important player on the team, yes. right? So yes. what do you think is the most, the best way for the Chargers to move forward was to hire Brandon Staley or offer everything under the sun to Brian Dable to take that job last year? Because I I'm, I would have much rather a Dable than Staley in that position if I'm Justin Herbert, if I'm the Chargers, if I'm anybody else. Because I, I think that he would be even better than he is now under a guy like Brian Dable. If he put Justin Herbert in Josh Allen's offense last year, I mean, that, that offense is just as good with Herbert. Right. So I, I just, I don't know. I, I, that's. So then why can't you hire the defensive coach and then go out and get Ken Dorsey to be your OC? I, I guess you're just hoping that Ken Dorsey is as good as, Kyle Shanahan, John McVay, Andy Reid, you know, go right in d- down the line of the guys that have the head coaching jobs. But, but it's a, I, I agree with your overall point that you should hire the best coach. And being right. the head coach is different than being a coordinator, obviously. You're right. more of a CEO as a head coach. So you have to also put into respect the best leader, uh, the best communicator. You know, the, the, those types of things I think are important to keep in mind outside of just the scheme and the X's and O's. But yeah, I do think right now what we're seeing, especially as McDaniels gets plucked and Dable gets plucked and uh, all these guys are getting scooped up on the offensive side, it gets really tricky. As Travis was kind of bringing up, it gets really tricky to continue to cycle through coordinators to continue to find good offensive court. I'm really fascinated. Like the Bills have the perfect setup, right? They're going to go to Ken Dorsey and that's probably going to work out for them. Here in New England, I... I don't know, right? Like, I, I don't know where they're going right now at that spot. And Here, if they bring in Joe O'Brien, well, so th- th- go ahead, Jack. Okay, yeah. 
what's going to have to happen, and we talked about this a little bit last week, Evan, is you're going to have to find a coordinator that can make the most out of the strengths of Mac Jones, right? I think it's time for the Patriots, if they really want to develop Mac Jones, they've got to let him do what he did best at Alabama, and that's run RPOs, right? Run RPOs, run some stuff off that, and get him back into the comfort zone that he was as a senior at Alabama. He he put up prolific numbers in RPO uh, at Alabama. And if, you know, the Patriots also want to take a page out of the Bengals' book, uh, I think it would behoove them. And Karen Garigian of the Boston Herald made this point. Draft an Alabama wide receiver. Put him on the field with Mac Jones, who he played with and see if you can't generate the same type of on-field chemistry and weaponry that the Bengals clearly have with Burrow and Jamar Chase. Yeah, we've talked about that a lot with John Mechie, who was one of Mac's favorite targets in his senior year at Alabama. And all the struggles that the Patriots have had with drafting wide receivers has always been about learning the playbook, chemistry, you know, those types of things, and not necessarily – I don't necessarily think that Nikhil Harry is it has no talent, right? I just think that Nikhil Harry was a bad fit in this offense and a bad fit in terms of this program, right? In terms of work ethic and those types of things, you can kind of skip some of those, cut some of those corners by bringing in a guy like Mechie, who has built-in chemistry with Mac Jones, that has familiarity right. with some of the things the Patriots do going from Bill O'Brien to the Patriots offense. Right. So that, that, yeah, I mean, I think we all would love to see that, you know, Jameson Williams didn't play with Mac at Alabama, but when we talk about Mechie even later in the later rounds, grabbing a guy like Slade Bolden, who I believe was very, very close with Mac at Alabama off the field. Right. I think they were really good friends right. on and off the field. That would kind of be like, Tom Brady and Julian Edelman or Tom Brady and Danny Amendola, they kind of had a bromance, right? And and I think that does play a factor in uh, performing uh, on Sunday. Is it the biggest thing? No, obviously talent is the biggest thing. Uh, but Burrow and Chase are, are, are just at such unison, right? Right off the bat because they played together and because they, they've already done this. So, yeah, I mean, we would all love that. I, I think we're all on board with, Mechie, Bolden, you know, whoever it is off that Alabama offense that they feel like could be a good pairing. I want to ask you about the Bengals defense. You talked a little bit about the personnel on that side of things. The one stat that really stood out to me previewing this Super Bowl is Matthew Stafford against the Blitz. You don't blitz Matthew Stafford, right? And and the Bucs found that out the difficult way a couple weeks ago, that blitzing Matthew Stafford – uh, was a, a losing proposition. Now the Bengals against the Chiefs use this drop eight, rush three type right. of game plan, and I am wondering if it's just going to be more of the same from Cincinnati uh, against the Rams and trying to collapse the pocket, keep Stafford at bay, get as much pressure as you can on him with three or four man rushes, but not dial up very much extra pressure by dropping guys into coverage and trying to play similarly to how they did against Patrick Mahomes in Kansas city last week or two weeks ago. I think, I think it's just going to, I think they're going to come out and play the same type of defense or try to schematically play the same kind of defense they did in the second half and overtime against the chiefs that they did, uh, that, uh, 
you're going to see that in the Super Bowl, at least to begin the Super Bowl. Remember, the Bengals have to account for not one, but two exceptional receivers uh, in Cooper Cup and OBJ. And Cooper Cup is a slot receiver, and Mike Hilton could get that assignment off the bat. He's expecting to get that assignment. He's looking forward to the challenge. He talked about that at uh, length yesterday on Wednesday. And, you know, what are the Bengals going, going to do with OBJ? Are they just going to put Chidobe Awuzie on him? Are they going to bracket him? Are they going to cloud him? Wh whatever they decide to do, just keep him in front of them. The thing that I like about what the Bengals have coming into the Super Bowl, they have played explosive offenses all season long. They have experience against Kansas City. Uh, they have experience against... Uh, some of the more explosive uh, teams in the National Football League. Um, I think they're going to find a way to keep these receivers in front of them. And, you know, again, when you hold Patrick Mahomes not once but twice to three points in the second half of a game, you're doing something right. You're confusing. And they confused Patrick Mahomes in that AFC Championship game. There is no doubt about that. You can say all you want about, you know, that. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs blew the game. Well, not really, because Patrick Mahomes just did not look like the same quarterback in the second half. If you can do that to Patrick Mahomes, I think you can do it or attempt to do it to Matthew Stafford. Ironically, Stafford is obviously the more experienced NFL quarterback, 13 years of experience. It's going to be harder to fool him, but he is still, as we, you know, I keep going back to that game against the Niners in the NFC Championship. He's going to want to make one or two or three throws he shouldn't be making. And the Bengals need to capitalize on that like they have throughout the playoffs. Yeah, it feels like the drop eight strategy is the perfect way to bait him into those types of throws too because he's going to just be holding the ball back there for a long time trying to make something happen, right? Trying to, to get right. something down the field. And you saw what happened with Patrick Mahomes, Evan, right? In, in yeah. that championship game. Mahomes held on to the ball, and he held on to the ball. And he held on to the ball. And the thing is, with Stafford, he is not the athletic quarterback that Mahomes is. I mean, he can run, certainly make a couple of plays with his legs. He is not what Mahomes is. And I think, you know, that, in addition to combined with the fact that the Bengals secondary has improved greatly over the course of the season, uh, makes that an advantage for the Bengals. I really do. And and people would call me crazy when, when you're talking about OBJ um, and Cooper Cup, but uh, that's the way I think they're going to play it. They know what Cooper Cup is. <laughs> they know how exceptional, how exceptionally talented he is, but they're going to keep him in front of them. Yeah, if you ask me, you got to bracket Cooper Cup. A, he plays inside, so it's easier to bracket him to begin with out of a slot alignment or a condensed alignment, but all of his routes, for the most part, he's got so much freedom right like you're not when you play a guy like cooper cup they're not just like getting into the huddle and being like cooper uh you're running a slant right like they, they don't do that like he pretty much has the choice to run just about any route that he wants like literally you know when they run the zero blitz against them in uh, tampa bay he was not supposed to go up the field on that play right but he saw this the safety over the top creeping down and knew that he could just blow by him based off of the that was a completely freelanced route there there's no that wasn't even an option or anything like that he just did that innately because he knew that he was going to be able to win over the top you talk about all the option routes and things like that the best way and i would also just say that I think the Rams have good depth at receiver. Obviously Od Odell is, is a big factor in this, but you're going to have to get beat by something. Like you're not going to shut down the entire 
offense right. all the time. So with Cooper Cup, if you do bracket him, then all of his reads from an option route perspective are based off of leverage, right? So if he sees the corner as inside leverage or outside leverage, he's breaking the other way. The problem is, is that if you bracket him, he doesn't have any leverage reads because there's a guy inside of him and a guy outside of him. So where do you go? You know, and and I think that that's got to be what they're thinking is we can't let Cooper Cup isolate somebody and allow him to just get open at the top of the route. You know, we, we have to be right. able to have leverage on both sides of him because if we allow him to just go one-on-one against someone and shake them at the top of the route, he's going to kill us. It's a lot like Edelman. It's a lot like Wes Welker was. As good as an explosive as OBJ is, Van Jefferson can create big plays as well. They're an offense that runs through Cooper Cup. And I feel like if you can take him away and you can force them to just go to their other complimentary receivers, I really feel like that's your best bet. So I would bracket him. Whatever happens with OBJ happens with OBJ, right? You know, if he goes off for 200 yards and has a throwback OBJ game, then I think you kind of have to tip your cap at that point and, and you know, hope that Joe Burrow can keep up on the other side of the ball. The one thing I want to bring up about the Bengals receivers, as big a player and as much of a binky as Jamar is for Joe Burrow, Tyler, do not sleep on Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. Those yeah, guys. I wanted to ask you about this. So wait, Go. I want to ask you about X factors in this matchup, right? Guys that are not Cooper Cup, not Aaron Donald, some of these X factors. The one X factor that I really thought of was, was T. Higgins, right? I mean, Darius Williams is probably going to be the outside corner on him with the Rams. Higgins had a great run in the playoffs. Uh, that's I'm sure they'll have something ready for Chase, right? That whether it's just Ramsey against him or uh, having Ramsey and help or whatever the case may be. T. Higgins feels like a guy that is like a low key could have a monster monster game in this matchup. So, what I heard um, from a couple of people who uh, cover the Rams is that. Do not be surprised if J- if the Rams and Sean McVay throw something different at the Bengals and they put Ramsey on, kind of like what Belichick used to do, put Ramsey right. on T. Higgins and bracket Jamar Chase. And then if that is the case, that opens up Tyler Boyd underneath. And Tyler Boyd could just have an exceptionally huge game uh, on Sunday. So... You know, that's why I think having three receivers the way the Bengals do coming into this game presents all types of problems. I mean, three elite receivers at their position group. And, you know, that's the way the Bengals were built. That's why they drafted the way they have the last couple of seasons. You know, T. Higgins was the the uh, draft pick after Joe Burrow in the 2020 draft. Obviously, Jamar Chase was the number five overall pick last year. And this is the moment where that kind of drafting uh, bears the fruit. Uh, at least the Bengals hope so. Well, so let me ask you this. You're talking about the matchups, and I, I haven't looked in the last couple hours, so I apologize if I missed something. But uh, C.J. Uzama, how big of an so, – do you think he plays, and how big of an absence is he if he doesn't play? He plays. Um, okay. I think he's Decoy or for real? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, no, okay. really, that's guesswork at this point. We don't know how C.J. Uzama is really feeling, right, Alex? I mean, until yeah. we see him on the field in the game, we don't know. Um, if he is 75% even, I think that's a big deal because Uzama has been a big third-down weapon 
for He's Joe Burrow. Player, yeah. Great release player. And He's not Gronk, but he can he can play some of the or run some of those same routes that Gronk ran, and he chips off the line of scrimmage very well. He will be used against Von Miller to chip, um, and then release off that. He could, if he's reasonably healthy, he could also be a big factor in the game, especially in the red zone. He had you know the first touchdown of the playoffs for the Bengals. Uh, on that dot that uh, Burrow threw against the Raiders in the first quarter. That was a big moment for the Bengals because, you know, the Raiders had scored. It was only 3 nothing Vegas, but there was starting to be this nervousness. Uh, here we go. Vegas marched right down the field. The defense stopped them enough, held them to a field goal, but the Bengals were down. Next drive, Bengals go right down the field, get the touchdown, the throw to C.J. Uzama in the red zone on third down. Because the Bengals have had their trouble in the low red area. Keep an eye on that on Sunday. Very hard for them to run the ball in the red area. But that throw to Uzama was a big one. It really got them on their way in that game. The other X factor I wanted to ask you about, Trags, is I think a player that deserves a lot more attention with this Bengals run, and that's DJ Reader, who has Mm. taken over at times in the playoffs in the middle of the defense and really just been – a rock that you can't move off the line of scrimmage and the run game gets penetration too at times as a pass rusher on the interior. Uh, This Rams offensive line has always been greater than the sum of its parts, right? It's it. Andrew Whitworth is a great player. I don't know if the rest of those guys are necessarily, you know, pro bowl, all pro caliber linemen, but they got a good scheme that protects, protects their offensive linemen a lot, but reader, has been an absolute force. I feel like he's a guy that could be a potential game record for the Bengals. He could be. And I will tell you this, when the Bengals traded their backup center behind a center who had knee issues coming into the season and Trey Hopkins, people kind of raised their eyebrow. Like if Trey Hopkins isn't able to go or he struggles or gets re-injured or whatever, and he's just not himself, what are you going to do? You're going to go with a rookie center um, in Trey Hill. Uh, you're going to put a rookie center in front of Joe Burrow. But the reason they traded Billy Price was to get to B.J. Hill at, from the New York Giants. He has been huge next to Reader for, uh, when Larry Joby got hurt against the Raiders. And the combination of reader and BJ Hill is something to watch on Sunday. Cause they have been very, very disruptive. Um, if the Bengals had Ogan Joby in this game, uh, that I, I would be much more confident that the, the Bengals would be able to stop um, the run game of the Rams. I still think they'll be able to do a good job, um, but it's like the Patriots the Patriots love to, you know, in the bill Belichick era, throw waves and waves of um, two gap defensive tackles in there at a time. Um, and the Bengals even uh, will use Tyler Shelvin, uh, big, big, uh, massive nose tackle. I love out. Shelvin in the draft. I thought that that was a nice nose tackle. Yeah. For the yeah he, was, he was a little bit, uh, he was a little bit out of shape when he got to the Bengals. He's gotten into shape. Yeah. They, they were hard on him. They, you know, DJ reader was one of the guys who really got on Tyler to get himself into shape. And he's yeah, actually big boy. played, he has actually played significant snaps in the postseason, which I think has surprised anybody who has covered the Bengals. No, everybody thought that Tyler Shelvin was going to take his rookie year as a red shirt and he'd come back next year in better shape. But no, they have used him uh, quite a bit. 
and they have used a couple of other players in there when uh, Larry Ogunjobi got hurt in the playoffs. They've really piecemealed that defensive line together quite well. So let me ask you this, kind of an external X factor here. And this, I, I know you hate thinking about the game this way, but this is how I like to think yeah. about it. So you're going to put up with There we go. Um, it feels to me Just coming like into this old game, times. It feels to me coming into this game, the Bengals are playing with house money. The Rams gave up all oh. those first round picks. They signed oh. all those big contracts. Yeah. This is their window. This is it. I, the Bengals, to me, when they kind of went through that, that, it was the middle of the year, right, where they struggled a little bit. It felt like they were getting tight. Yeah. Does it help the Bengals that it's almost like, hey, we can be back here. We're just in the beginning of our window versus no. the Rams who have to win this game. You don't think no. that lets the Bengals play any loser? No. 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 Right. I think the, I, the, the reason I say that, Alex, is you get to the Super Bowl, you're there to win the Super Bowl. You're not thinking oh, no, about I, I know. And I, and I don't saying, think they are looking at it. Oh, here, you know, whatever happens, they were going to play relaxed. And if we don't win, all right. That's not their attitude. No, 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 it's, no. It shouldn't be. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm more so saying, do you think the, 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 do you think the pressure gets to the Rams easier than it gets to the Bengals? I'm saying, I think, because there is something to be said, Patriots players have talked about this. You have to enjoy the process. Do you think maybe it's a little easier for the Bengals to enjoy the process of this week than the Rams? The only way the pressure gets to the Rams is if they fall behind 10-0, 14-0 in their own building and they have veterans who are brought in to for this express purpose yeah. of winning the Super Bowl and they're down early and then the Bengals are playing free and loose. There's something to your, your, your point there. I, yeah. I, I do buy that a little bit, but that is very conditional on the way the game plays out right but i mean going right. into the game i don't think it factors at all. so That's so let me ask you this then how much does it help the Bengals? not just that they won obviously they won last week that's why they're in the game but to win in the manner that they did yeah winning on i think there's something to that i think winning on <laughs> wiping out an 18 point deficit on the road yeah. at arrowhead right uh, against on top of, and and beating the number one seed on the road in tennessee those are big feathers in the cap. And those are the kind of yeah. wins that, that tell you, look, if, if um, the crap hits the fan in the first quarter and we're down, let's say 14, nothing, we're not going to panic. We got the quarterback. We have, we know we can come back. We don't want to be in that position, but if that's what happens of a, of, you know, a turnover happens and let's God forbid, there's a pick six, like Brady went through right. in Super Bowl 51. If that happens, they're not going to crumble. I can guarantee you that. And that's what, it, you know, and I keep saying this, having covered the Patriots for so long, the thing that has impressed me about this Bengal team, you're talking about a Bengal team that was down 14 points three different times in a game they needed to clinch the division to Kansas City at, you know, at Paul Brown Stadium. They won that game. Tennessee had the game in their hands, in Ryan Tannehill's hands, with a chance to win uh, at Tennessee in the divisional Bengals came up with the play. They won the game Bengals down 21 to three. And I had somebody next to me, you know, protect his identity. He's a good friend of mine say, uh, if the chiefs go down and score on this drive, it's church, meaning it's game over. Right. And they scored and it was 21, three. And I went, I don't think so. I don't think this game's over. And, you know, when the Bengals came back and got that uh, Samaj P. Ryan run, um, they, sh they, they got themselves immediately back into the game. And then Eli Apple makes that tackle on Tyreek Hill. 
they have that something where they believe whatever happens in the game, good or bad, they're going to have a chance eventually in the end to win it. It's an interesting conversation, though, about Sean McVay that Alex was getting at, though, because I remember he did a lot of reflecting on why he lost to the Patriots in, yeah. in his first Super Bowl. And he talked about in that, uh, he wrote a story with SI, he did a lot of, of press about it. He talked about it and he said that he was going back years in Patriots film to comb through what Belichick did in this big game and what Belichick did in that big game. And he got so lost in the weeds of the whole thing. And I think the one thing that he really pointed to was the extra week, right? So he had all this extra time to go ahead and, and waste his time essentially looking back at the 16 Super Bowl against Kyle Shanahan was a big one because obviously it's a somewhat similar system that Shanahan was running with Atlanta. So he went back and looked at what the Falcons did and it's a totally different team, right? I mean, there's no relevance really. And I'm wondering if he's learned from his mistakes, right? And, And I wonder, especially going up against as coaching staff like the Bengals and Zach Taylor that know him extremely well, if he outsmarts himself again, I do wonder that. Yeah, I would be concerned about with the Rams is that he's going to come out and get away from what they do as a team because he's going to be like Zach Taylor is going to know I'm going to run wide zone. Zach Taylor is going to know that I'm going to run empty. Zach Taylor is going to know that I'm going to, uh, you know, run these four or five core passing plays. So we're actually going to go to our our secondary group of plays and maybe we haven't practiced those as much and maybe they're not as ready to run them in a game. So this is a, this is a tough draw for to draw Bill Belichick and then to draw a guy that's super familiar with you the second time around in the Super Bowl with Zach Taylor is it's tough for McVay. And I wonder how much from the first experience he's going to take away and learn uh, this second time around the first time I actually thought against the Patriots, he was too predictable. They just did exactly what they had done all year long, and that's exactly what Bill Belichick game planned for. Uh, now I, I wonder if he goes the total opposite direction and if that's actually a good thing or a bad thing uh, for the Rams, you know, in, in this game. Well, it depends on how much, you know, you can go in a different direction, but if you're still using your primary weapons and having them involved to make plays, then, you know, it's. I think that's a good thing for the Rams and McVay. The area where you get into trouble is if you start outsmarting yourself and don't use your weapons and don't get Cooper cup in the game right away or don't get OBJ involved right away. And, and don't, you know, attack the Bengals where their primary weakness is on defense. And that's the linebackers. Look, Logan Wilson's a very fundamentally sound run stopper. He's great downhill. Jermaine Pratt's had a very good year but the Bengals can be attacked with the short passing game over the middle. And that those are two guys I I watch a lot in the draft. Uh, I thought maybe the Patriots a little bit more athletic, but can, but still have some size to them to stop the run. Right. But they're not, right. They're not Jawan Bentley's like, they're not, they're not plotters out there. Uh, Neither one of them were drafted by the Patriots. Now they're playing in the Super Bowl with the Bengals. Who's the X factor. Who's the guy that scares you the most on the Rams? Like if there's one player Who's the guy that makes you, you know, have long sleepless nights if you're Zach Taylor and the uh, Bengals coaching staff in this game? Cooper Cup. I mean, you can't yeah. say it. I mean, if you're asking me somebody other than Cooper Cup, 
probably Van Jefferson. He's not getting a lot of attention. And, you know, what concerns me is how do the Bengals or how do the Rams isolate Eli Apple? Because Eli Apple can get beat over the top, and he has. And that's where I think they're going to – that's where I think Sean McVay is going to try to attack this Bengals defense. You're going to see a lot of passes directed towards Eli Apple early in this game. Um, so Eli Apple likes to talk some smack and I'm curious, do Bengals fans like that? Like, you know, like in Boston, we all love Brad Marchant. Like he's, he's a pest, right? But we all love him because he's Brad Marchant. The Bengals fans feel the same way about Eli Apple or they kind of like your Eli Apple, like maybe go sit in the corner for a little bit. Hot and cold. Um, (laughs) look, Eli made, um, he made a great play, uh, in the Tennessee game that helped him win the game. There's no doubt about that. He dropped the pick six in overtime in on Mahomes on second down. Everybody remembers the interception that um, Jesse Bates tips the ball to Von Bell and sets up the game-winning field goal. The Right before that, it was uh, Eli Apple with a chance to intercept Patrick Mahomes, easily run it into the end zone. Game's over at that moment. Bengal fans get a little nervous when you talk Eli Apple. It's hot and cold. It's I'm trying to think of a, of a good Patriot comparison to a player in the secondary over the years. I don't know if Asante Samuel is a good analogy or not because he Eli was so Apple good. was never that good. Yeah, yeah, right. But uh, but he is that kind of like hot and cold player. Um, Shadobi Awuzie has had his struggles in in the playoffs is somebody also that could be picked on a little bit um, in this game on Sunday. Uh, and that I think concerns Bengals fans. I mean, if you've been watching these games closely, a has struggled at times to keep up with the number one receiver. So how the Bengals, if they go with pattern match zoning or, you know, the eighth drop, like you said, Evan, they're going to have to find a way to kind of put these two cornerbacks, a and Apple in comfort zones, where they have some protection over the well, you're not going to be able to protect both of them over the top, but you're going to have to give put them in positions where they feel comfortable on the outside. All right, Trags, give us your game pick. We gotta we gotta put you on the spot. You can't pick the bang. No, I'm just kidding. You can pick the Bengals if you want to pick the Bengals, but who, who you got in this game? And uh, do you see it close game blowout? What are you looking at? Look, Evan McPherson comes onto the field in a 21-21 game. Says. Ah, looks like we're going to be hoisting the Vince Lombardi trophy, just like he said about uh, we're going to the AFC Championship. I think the Bengals win it on a last-second Evan McPherson field goal, um, and he breaks Adam Vinatieri's 2006 NFL postseason record with his 15th field goal uh, in the postseason, 24-21 Bengals. So you're, you're going full 2001 Patriots analogy with this, I can tell. Pretty much. It's <laughs> I, I Look – I mean, I got to tell you, you both know this. Uh, this team has a lot of similarities with that 2001 team. Uh, but a quarterback who's probably, well, there's no probably, Brady himself acknowledged that um, Joe Burrow, as a number one overall pick, has more tools and is much further along in his second NFL season than Brady was when Brady led them to the uh, win over the greatest show on turf. So I do see the similarities. I see 24-21 Bengals going to be a rock fight early and then in a lot as the, is the case in a lot of these games guys and you know this it starts out defensively then it ramps up into an offensive shootout kind of like super bowl 38 
Carolina and the and the uh, Patriots. Underrated game. Yeah. Very underrated game. And the Patriots won that 32-29 on the last second Vinatieri field goal. So um, that's the way I see this one going. Well, now to be look, I'm rooting for the Bengals. Who doesn't root for the team with no Super Bowls, right? Like you always want to see uh, them win a Super Bowl championship. And the fans out in LA that do exist are very few and far between. So I'd much rather see a diehard fan base that suffered a long time uh, win this game. And Trags, thanks so much for joining us. We always love having you on. And uh, enjoy LA. Enjoy the weather. It is nice out here today in Boston. I, I will say that. Or we got. I think we're at fifty degrees. Is, is that right? Fifty degrees. So not yeah, terrible. Not seventy-eight. Not seventy-eight yeah. and sunny, but it's not bad. No, I feel like you're obligated to talk about the weather. If you're talking to somebody out at the Super Bowl in LA and you're yes. back here in the Northeast, you have to ask about the weather. So. Well, look, it's just evening out for it because I remember. Evan, this before when you were with CLNS when Trax was covering the Super Bowl in Minnesota and I had to edit all his videos he was shooting there and having to cut out all the in-between takes when he's just grumbling about how cold it was. <laughs> so I guess this is, it's, you know, it evens out. Yeah, yes, it didn't it really, it wasn't really that warm in Atlanta from what I remember. No, I think not. it was like unseasonally cold. Remember or... they closed school one day because it was like 30, it wasn't oh. snowing, it was just 30 degrees, so they yeah. closed the schools. A rare cogent point from Alex Barth. That is an excellent point, Alex. I do remember Thank that. You. Oh yeah. my gosh. All right, well, Trags, enjoy the game. Try to revel in this one a little bit, you know, and, oh, yeah. and have a good time watching it. And uh, we wish the Bengals nothing but the best. I, I said I'm rooting for the Bengals. I don't know if I'm taking the Bengals. I'm 50-50 on that. Alex, uh, what, what about you? Uh, I I think it's a high-scoring game. Uh, I, I think it's close, but I think the Rams pull away late. I'm going 38-28 Rams. Oh, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a high number. I like that. All that's right. Well, high down. number. We got to let Trags go. Trags, thank you so much. We appreciate you. We love you. And we'll have you on again soon. Back at you guys. Thanks for having me. And thanks so much, everybody else, for tuning in to this afternoon edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on Patriots Press Pass. Alex and I will be back on Tuesday to recap the Super Bowl, talk some more Patriots. We didn't talk much Patriots today, so we'll talk on all Patriots next week, but we wanted to get in a very important Super Bowl preview with our guy, Mike Petraglia. So thanks once again to Trags for joining us from Los Angeles, and we'll see everybody Tuesday.